0: Happening. A Happy Thursday to all of you. Thanks for joining me as always. It is much appreciated. We have a jam packed show today. Latest on Gerard Mayo's future with the Patriots. I did some uh, deep research on NFL coaching hires since 2018. You want to stick around for that. And also pro football focus released their top 50 NFL free agency list, which we will go through. I have some observations about that, but let's start with Gerard Mayo's future here in New England. Dan Graziano, ESPN.com, wrote the following. There's a growing belief around the NFL that someone besides Bill Belichick will be coaching the team in 2024. Sources close to the Patriots believe Kraft's plan entering this season was for Belichick to coach two more seasons and have Mayo take over in 2025. The extent to which this season has gone off the rails, sources say, has Kraft rethinking everything. Multiple sources in and around the building Say Mayo taking over next year is the most likely outcome, though offers, though others rather are no longer certain. Mayo would have to sell craft on who will be in charge of the offense, the quarterback's development, and personnel. That could all happen and work out in Mayo's favor, but it doesn't sound like it's 100% a sure thing. So the plan going into this season, Belichick would coach through 2024, Mayo would take over in 2025, and the structure would be set. For I would think, crafts thought, uh, you know, hey, it's going to be eight to ten years, right? That Mayo would be the guy. So that was that was the thought process that Belichick would coach to twenty twenty five. Mayo would take over at that point, which makes sense. We've heard about Belichick's extension, the fact that that extension runs through next season. So if you put all of this together, Belichick would work through that contract extension that he agreed to. He'd work through twenty twenty four. Mayo would take over in twenty twenty five. And for the next eight to 10 years, everything would be set. But now, Graziano writes, there are people inside and outside the building thinking that Kraft is not 100% sure that he's going to make Gerard Mayo the succession plan to Bill Belichick's time here in New England. So the first thing that I thought of was there's way too much smoke, right? There's just way too much smoke about Bill Belichick and Gerard Mayo the idea that Belichick is going to be gone, the idea that Mayo is going to slide in, there's way too much smoke for there not to be fire. At this point, there are so many people reporting and talking about Bill Belichick being done, aside from something crazy happening, that we have to believe that Belichick is going to be gone once this season ends. A lot of people, especially those locally, have said that Gerard Mayo is the leader in the clubhouse and that they would anticipate Mayo getting that call even nationally. Graziano now saying, yes, Gerard Mayo is the expected successor to Bill Belichick as head coach of the Patriots. So there's so much smoke out there. We all have to agree there has to be some fire. I wonder, could the finish help or hurt Gerard Mayo? Does it matter what happens the next four games? I mean, you're three and ten. If you win four games and you finish seven and ten, if you run the table, does Belichick come back? If you win three of the four and finish at six and and 11, does, does that change the math in any kind of way? Does anything that happens over the next month impact this decision by Robert Kraft? As far as Belichick goes and as far as Mayo goes, can anything happen over the next four weeks? Now, the part of the Graziano story that I don't quite understand, there's a couple. The first is this this plan, right? Let's go back to the story. Graziano says multiple sources in and around the building say Mayo taking over next year is the most likely outcome, though others are no longer certain. And then this part, Mayo would have to sell craft on who will be in charge of the offense, the quarterback's development, and personnel. So if you're bringing in a defensive guy, it stands to reason that That defensive guy, whether it's Mayo or somebody else, would have to sell Robert Kraft on the plan. But an offensive mind would have to do the same thing. No matter who Kraft speaks to, that's the interview process, right? No matter who's interviewed, they have to walk into that room and they've got to say, look, Robert, this is my plan. And they lay it out. This is what I'm thinking. This is how we would handle offensive personnel. This is how we would handle the quarterback position. This is how the offense would be run. This is the scheme, the system that we would run. These are the names that I'm looking at. Those conversations happen with every single candidate that will sit in front of Kraft. So I don't think it's any different what Mayo has to show Kraft than any other candidate that would be going for this job. I think every single person would have to sit down and tell Kraft those plans. Quarterback, personnel, what are you running offensively? We're all wondering that because we've all seen this bleep show happening in New England for the past couple of years on that side of the football. So I don't think there's any difference between those questions being posed to Mayo and those questions being posed to others. I would also have to imagine that Gerard Mayo was well prepared for this interview, right? The writing's been on the wall. Ever since Robert Kraft released a statement mentioning Gerard Mayo and going on TV saying that it would be great to have him, As an heir apparent. Even though you have people that have been saying that and talking about that, and Robert Kraft has mentioned it publicly, some have said, well, maybe Mayo won't be the guy. Mayo has to prepare as if he's going to be the guy. I would be shocked if Gerard Mayo is not ready for an interview process. I would be shocked if Mayo is not prepared to walk into the office of Robert Kraft if Belichick goes and says, This is my plan. This is how I'm going to get there. These are the names that are going to be with me. So all of that is kind of spoken for anyway. I'm not sure Graziano had to even report that. Now we'll get to Mayo and the personnel in a second. I remind you, give us that thumbs up, a like on YouTube. Also Facebook, Twitter, give us those likes. Thumbs mean an awful lot to beat that algorithm. More thumbs means more eyeballs drive the traffic, help this one-man band out. The Nick Cattle Show, Monday through Friday, live on YouTube at 11 a.m. Also, I want to acknowledge those who listen on Spotify and Apple Pods. If you're listening, give us a rating and a review. We always appreciate those. Throw your comments in. Even Benny Benz, who tells us that no one is going to come here, right? No one's coming here to New England. No one wants to be here. I want to tackle that a little bit later on. Not today, but on another podcast, whether or not this job is desirable. We'll see if it is. I have my thoughts. But when you look at Gerard Mayo and this idea of him taking over the program, how wishy-washy is craft. And the other thing that stood out to me in this article from Graziano, ESPN.com, is this idea of Mayo having personnel say, now, is this just on the offensive side? Is this on every three phase side of the game? Is he going to be sitting there weighing in on personnel heavily? I don't think Mayo wouldn't be making those calls. I I don't think Mayo would be the GM, but how much influence will Mayo have on the personnel? How much influence will he have on the roster? And I think that question needs to be asked when Graziano writes that Mayo would have to sell Kraft on who will be in charge of the offense, the quarterbacks, development, and personnel. Now, I have to imagine the way I read that is that Mayo has to tell Kraft who will be in charge of the offensive personnel. Pretty much, Kraft is going to want to know. Hey, if I bring in a defensive guy, who's going to be my offensive head coach, so to speak, how is that going to work? I would imagine Kraft's not happy with how it's working currently, and we know he wasn't happy how it worked or didn't work in 2022 because he helped guide Belichick to bring back Bill O'Brien. So how much say will Mayo have on personnel? In what way will he you know, go out there and, and discuss the personnel? What's the GM plan? Who would be the GM if Mayo was the guy? Would Mayo want to bring in somebody from the outside? Would it be a promotion from within? How does all of that work? I mean, there's so many questions. You also have to either believe in Mayo or you don't, right? This idea that this season could destroy the thought of Gerard Mayo being the next guy. I don't quite understand that big picture look at it from 30,000 feet. If you're totally sold on Mayo, if you think Mayo is the guy, and obviously Kraft believes that Mayo could, should be the guy, what about this season would ruin that? Aside from, which we've talked about before, you can check it out on prior podcasts, aside from the guilt by association in the Belichick coaching tree, what would impact it that much? Like, they were a losing team last year. They lost two of the three prior seasons. The personnel on the offensive side hasn't been good for years. So why would this season impact Robert Kraft's decision making to the point of, well, we got to get other guys in here and Mayo might not be the guy. The Belichick relationship is the same now as it was when Kraft was thinking that Mayo was absolutely going to be the dude. I don't understand how this season could be an indictment on Gerard Mayo in any kind of way. As a matter of fact, I actually think this season helps Gerard Mayo because the defense has been good. You lost Christian Gonzalez. You lost Matthew Judon, and you've been able to make it work. The defense is competitive. The defense, I think, is playing well ahead of its skis. And Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick, they've got total buy-in from that defensive unit. Devon Godchow spoke to Evan Lazar, Patriots.com, recently. He said this about Mayo. I think I'm speaking for everybody when I say this. Everybody respects Coach Mayo. Mayo is kind of like that alpha male. You got that one alpha male that sticks out in the group. He's going to get a head coach shot one day. So I actually think that this season, as bad as it's been for Belichick, I think it's been good for Mayo. Because if you're Robert Kraft and you're wondering if guys are going to buy in, if guys are going to believe in Mayo, if he is a leader of men, if he is a good you know, coach as far as preparing his guys for a game. Gerard Mayo is the one that prepares this defense. He works on the game plans. So I don't know why this season would be a detriment to Mayo succeeding Bill Belichick. I don't quite understand that line of thinking. If you were all in on Mayo in 2022, then what changed as far as Mayo in 2023? Nothing. Defense has played well. All right, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. It doesn't cost you a penny to click that thumb and give us a thumbs up. It doesn't cost you a penny to comment. It does not cost you a penny to subscribe to this channel. Let's jump to uh, some of the comments in here. Michael Garrison jumps in and says, I never really took the Mayo head coach thing serious. I think even Mike Vrabel is a long shot. He's not leaving Tennessee. So who does that leave us with? Well, Michael, I did a, a long podcast on the coaches that are going to be available this off season. We went through the list of young offensive minds, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about coming up next in just a minute. I did some deep research in coaching hires since 2018. You do not want to miss that, Patriots fans. I guarantee you there is some stuff that I gathered from that research that you're going to want to know. So you can check out that prior podcast if you'd like, Michael. Again, we went through the list. I gave you my top five names as far as offensive minds, And I really have not changed much from that list going back several weeks ago. So you might want to check that out. And I do believe in the Mayo stuff. And Graziano also wrote about Mike Vrabel. And he's the latest guy to write. He's the latest reporter, latest insider to say that Vrabel is being mentioned. I do think Vrabel's on the list. I do think Mayo is the leader in that locker room right now. And is probably the leader in the clubhouse because there's just way too many people that are writing that and talking about that. And when there's, when there's smoke, there's fire. That's how this world works. Rocky James jumps in and says, I'm cool with Mayo being named head coach. I think he's a great leader of men that will handle his job as a CEO who looks at the big picture. Yeah, we've talked about Mayo before. Mayo is very different than Bill Belichick. He's, he's been coined the, the Belichick guy, and I understand why. He played for Belichick. He, he's coached for Belichick. New England's been the only place he's been in his professional football career. But personality-wise, he's a completely different cat And from people who know Mayo very well, and don't forget, Mayo worked at NBC Sports Boston. So Tom Curran, Phil Perry, they know Mayo very well. And they've said he will delegate more. He is more of a CEO. He won't just keep throwing things on his plate like Belichick. He will give guys latitude within the program. He looks at things differently. He relates to players differently. JN Chalifor says, uh, Kraft has to unturn every stone, if nothing else, to be 100% sure Mayo's the right guy. I agree. Talk to everybody that you can talk to. Interview as many people as you want, because ultimately, the most important thing and the only thing that I should care about and that you should care about is getting the right guy. Offense, defense, special teams, as long as it's not Joe Judge, just be concerned about getting the right guy. All right, so let's jump into this research. Speaking of the next head coach, lots of people have connected or have commented that the Patriots need to hire a young offensive mind as their next head coach. So I dug into this. I took some time late last week and over the weekend, and I wanted to do the research. I wanted to dig into the hires because people would just say things off of their own memory. They'll say things because it's part of the echo chamber. But I looked back to 2018 to right now. And I looked at all the head coach hirings in the league. Because when I genuinely ask people, why do you think it has to be an offensive mind? I want a legitimate answer. I've heard, oh, well, it works. Great. It works. But it's also failed. My research will tell you that. People will say, well, offense is the biggest problem. And I say, well, if offense is the biggest problem, which we all agree about. Then bringing in somebody. As an offensive head coach with so much turnover offensively, scheme-wise and personnel-wise, would it actually make sense to hire a defensive guy to run the system and then hire a young offensive mind to be the head coach of the offense and focus on turning that offense over, turning the scheme over, the personnel over, and play calling? Or do you want to dump all of that on the new offensive coach? Now, some would say, well, the offensive coach? could bring in another offensive guy to be his play caller, that could be the case. But a lot of times, as we've seen, when a young offensive mind is hired as the head coach, that young offensive mind is also the play caller, i.e. Mike McDaniel, i.e. Kevin O'Connell, i.e. Sean McVay. So let's get into the research, shall we? Mike Sando wrote this in The Athletic, and I thought this was a very fascinating angle. The most successful team quarterback marriages over the past two decades featured coaches with backgrounds on defense and or special teams. He talks about Belichick Brady, Carroll Wilson, Harbaugh Flacco, Tomlin Roethlisberger. These teams enjoyed far greater championship success than the teams that paired offensive-minded coaches with Rodgers, Breeze, or Rivers. Sando asks why. Those coaches also were not play callers. They coach the full team and set the culture. Some of the most successful veteran defensive coordinators generate almost no buzz. So again, this got me thinking. And I want to tell you before we get into this research, this was before last week's games. OK, so this was before week 14 games. NFL head coach hirings since 2018. There have been 41 head coaches hired in the NFL from 2018 to this past offseason. 41 hires. 27 of those hires from the offensive side, 13 of those hires from the defensive side, one hire from special teams, Joe Judge, LOL. Now, I broke these into three categories, okay? I took the names of the coaches, and I broke them into three categories. Retreads, vets, which I took as guys that are 50 years old or older getting their first shot, And then I took the up-and-coming list as well, which was guys that were under 50 getting their first shot, okay? So they're 41 hires, 27 offensively, 13 defensively, one LOL and Joe Judge. Here are my takeaways from this research. It is more than twice as likely to get a head coaching job if you are on the offensive side than the defensive side. There were 27 of the head coach hires from 2018 to 2023. There were 27 of those 41 hires from the offensive side. Only 13 from the defensive side. We're talking a two-to-one margin. More than half of the head coach hires since 2018 were up-and-coming offensive minds, 36.5%. So it's two-to-one offense to defense. And when you look at all of the hirings, all 41 hirings, more than one third of those 41 guys that were hired would be seen as up and coming offensive minds under 50 years old, first time shot as a head coach. So what's this tell us? Well, more offensive hires means more opportunity to win, right? There's a bigger pool. When you have a two to one ratio, it's more likely that you're going to see offensive minds win football games and defensive minds because there's just more offensive guys coaching. It's kind of simple. It's math. And when you look at the defensive hires, it also really jumps out that because there are not as many defensive head coach hirings in current day football, that there's a larger microscope on those defensive guys that are hired. They get, they get less benefit of the doubt. Offensive guys get more benefit of the doubt. They keep getting hired. And there's more of them getting hired every single year, right? Defensive guys, they get like their one shot. And if they're not successful off the bat, owners get itchy. Fans get itchy. It's a copycat league. So the question is, are offensive minds getting hired more than defensive minds because they're just better to hire and they're just more talented and they're better coaches? Or are these offensive minds getting hired because it's a copycat league and it's a two to one ratio? Offensive guys are the sexy hire, so the owner wants the sexy hire, so the offensive mind gets the job. Coming up soon, I'll have observations from Pro Football Focus's top 50 free agency list that came out yesterday, observations about the Patriots' side of things and what they might do in free agency based off of that list. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up, comment, and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. All right, let's get to some more thoughts on the research I did on the head coach hire since 2018. It's more than twice as likely. It's more than twice as likely to get another shot as an offensive head coach. So if you're an offensive mind in the game, you not only have a twice as good chance of getting hired initially, you also have more than twice as likely of a shot to get rehired. The retreads I mentioned, retreads, eight offensive head coaches have been retreads, 2018 to 2023. Eight of those guys have been retreads, offensive minds, three of them defensive minds. So not only when you're a defensive coach, not only do you get less of a shot, less of an opportunity to get hired in the first place, if you don't do a good job, you are much less likely to get another shot at being a head coach. So again, I ask you, offensive minds, is it just a sexy thing? They keep getting, you know, shots over and over. Look at Frank Reich. Perfect example. Everybody loved Frank Reich in Philadelphia. Everybody loved him. Then he gets a job in Indianapolis. He fails. He gets the job in Carolina. doesn't last a year, but he was an offensive guy. So you have a much better shot of getting hired as an offensive coach, as a head coach, and you get a much better shot of getting a second bite at the apple as an offensive coach versus defensive coach. And I think this feeds into the perception and the, the stock, so to speak, of defensive coaches. The stock on defensive coaches, mostly down. The perception of defensive coaches is mostly down. Hiring an offensive guy is easy to sell the fans because there are so many offensive coaches getting hired. So you can pluck more examples of success from those offensive minds. Here's more. You're four times as likely to get your first shot at 50 plus years old if you're an offensive mind. Since 2018 to 2023, there have been five retread, nope, sorry, five vet coaches hired, okay? So 50 years or older, getting their first shot as a head coach, there have been five of those hires since 2018, four of them offensively, one of them defensively. I think the defensive guy was Vic Fangio, if memory serves me right. So it's all about copycat league. It's all about selling fans. It's all about how many offensive guys get hired versus defensive guys. How many of those offensive guys get second chances? Other than, you know, the defensive guys getting almost nothing. When you go out and you hire somebody who's the grizzled veteran, how often is that person offensive versus defensive? And all the numbers would tell you that the league is in love with hiring offensive minds even if they don't work, which will be the next step, because I know all of you are sitting there saying, yeah, but what's it tell us, Nick? What's this tell us other than the perception of the old school and outdated defensive grinded out coach, which I think is what you see. This idea of, oh, if he's a defensive guy and he's 50 to 55 years old, he's old school. But we don't necessarily say that about offensive coaches. Why is that? Because the label, the label has been created Offense, 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 go find an offensive mind. So inevitably, with all the information I just gave you, how successful were offensive coaches versus defensive coaches when hired? Up-and-coming defensive head coaches in the regular season since 2018, okay? So defensive up-and-coming guys, younger than 50 years old, their win percentage was 426. Up-and-coming offensive head coaches in the regular season, their win percentage was 518. So offensive head coaches that were up-and-comers won almost 52% of their games. Defensive coaches that were up-and-comers won about 42%, 43% of their games. But, there's a but. When you take out Matt LaFleur, who had Aaron Rodgers, and you take out Nick Sirianni, who has the best roster in football, talent-wise, When you realize that LaFleur and Sirianni, just those two guys out of the 41 hires, those two guys have won 69, nice, percent of their games. The other 13, okay? When you take the other 13 up-and-coming offensive minds, the win percentage is 47.8%. So when you take LaFleur and Sirianni out of the mix, you take the other 13 up-and-coming offensive coaches. Their winning percentage was under 500. The defensive coach's winning percentage was under 500. Ipso facto, not really a huge difference. The majority of head coach hires fail, no matter the background. Find the right guy, and especially find the right quarterback. Matt LaFleur had Aaron Rodgers. So, That's the most important thing here. Offensive minds get hired at a much, much, much more significant clip than defensive minds. Even if they fail, they get more second shots. If they've been around long enough, they will get, you know, four times as much opportunity being 50 years old or older than defensive guys do. But even with all of that happening, the win percentages would tell you Defensive, offensive, unless you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time or you have the most loaded roster in the NFL, you're likely to be under 500. (laughs) So that's what we found out. That's what we found out. Kelso says, out of the uh, 14 playoff teams this year, 11 have offensive coordinators. Are we going to go back to the past? Again, I, I think that's because a lot of these hires a lot of these hires are offensive to begin with. When you hire twice as many offensive minds and defensive minds, it stands to reason there are going to be more playoff teams led by offensive head coaches and defensive head coaches. Mark jumps in. Thanks for doing this, Nick. Listening from Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, baby. We had Austria yesterday. We had, uh, where else did we have? We, we had all sorts of places yesterday. Portugal weighed in. One with a B that I forget, and I apologize for that. It wasn't Budapest. My hope is a new regime. They dedicate this whole draft on offense every damn pick. All right, there's going to be free agency, and we're going to go a little bit longer than a half hour today, folks, but I hope you enjoy this. We'll go a little bit longer today because I want to get into the pro football focus free agency list. There are some observations from that list that I want to share with you, and I do think those observations are vital when we get ready for this Patriots offseason season when they have, you know, $75, $80 million or so. McTauger jumps in and says, I don't see how this season changes anything about Mayo. I can understand that the way uh, of things in the 2023 NFL changes things, but no, Mayo uh, hasn't harmed his brand. That's absurd. I agree. I just don't understand if you're sitting there watching this team, how you could say, well, 2023 is an indictment on Gerard Mayo. No. No. D.A. Thorndyke says, why would Mayo even want to stay and deal with this turd pile? Well, number one, there's only 32 head coaching jobs out there. Number two, he spent his entire professional career here in New England. He loves New England. He said it to the media yesterday. He loves New England. His family loves New England. Also, Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is somebody he trusts, and trusting your owner is important. Having a good relationship, just look at Carolina and what's going on with Tepper. Having a good relationship with your owner is, is vital to any head coach. If they want job security, Amstel jumps in and says, help Nick hit the like button. Yes. Help me and hit that like button, like comment, subscribe doesn't cost you anything. All right, let's get into this pro football focus top 50. Again, we're going to run a little bit long today, but that just means more content for all of you, which I hope you enjoy. The Patriots have at least $75 million in cap space to spend. Miguel Benson says it's around 75 million. Other places say it's about 90 million whatever. The Patriots have a lot of money to spend this offseason. And as we all know, there are lots of offensive holes that need to be addressed. So Pro Football Focus released their top 50 list of free agents heading into the 2024 offseason. We've said this before. I'll say it again. One third of this Patriots roster is heading into free agency. It's an absurd number. One third. And as a matter of fact, Nick Cordy from Over the Cap, he posted this, most 2023 snaps set to hit free agency, New England is tied for fifth most in percentage of snaps heading to free agency with 33%. They're tied with Minnesota. So how do Patriots free agents stack up with the rest of the league and the rest of the class when we look at this free agency period that will be upcoming in a few months? Pro Football Focus has... Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Fifth, they've got five Patriots on their top 50 free agency list. The highest-rated Patriot on Pro Football Focus's free agency rankings and list is Kyle Duggar at 20, and they think Duggar will get franchise-tagged. That's their financial projection. If you're wondering, that's about 14 and a half million. The second Patriot who's on this list is Trent Brown. Trent Brown is ranked 22nd on Pro Football Focus's lists of free agents. And it's a two-year, $15 million deal projection for him. The third Patriot, see that better? The third Patriot for those watching. Michael Wenu is the third Patriot on the list. He's 25th overall out of the top 50. And his deal is much heavier. Four years, $58 million, with over $33 million guaranteed. Again, these are money projections from Pro Football Focus. Fourth guy on the list, Hunter Henry just made it. He's at 46. Josh Uche made the top 50. He is number 48. So you have five Patriots on the top 50 of Pro Football Focus free agency rankings. Duggar, Brown, Owenu, Henry, Uche. Duggar is the high at 20. Uche is the low at 48. I don't think all five of those guys will return. If you look at the money projections from Pro Football Focus and you add up all of the money for those five individuals, you're talking about more than $70 million guaranteed. I don't think the Patriots will dump $70 million of guaranteed money into those five free agents that I just mentioned. Now, how likely is it? How likely is it? that those five would return. And what would be my rankings as far as most likely to least likely? I think the most likely guy to return is Hunter Henry. You have zero tight ends that are under contract for next season. So I would be surprised if Hunter Henry does not come back, especially given the money projection from pro football focus for Henry. It was a two year, 12 and a quarter million dollar deal, $6 million a year for Hunter Henry. You have zero tight ends on your roster. I think Hunter Henry is the most likely guy to be back. Second most likely to me is Mike Wenu because you got to figure out the offensive tackle position. He's been really good at right tackle. He was good last week after a down week uh, versus Khalil Mack. But I, I think you you put Wenu at number two on the priority list. Duggar, to me, would be number three. But if you bring back Duggar, I want Duggar in his right role. I want Duggar as an in-the-box safety slash linebacker. Enough of the free safety garbage. Then I think you have Trent Brown, because again, as much as you like him or don't like him, he is ranked as one of the top offensive tackles in football, and he is one of few tackles that are going to be available this offseason. So I think Brown is ahead of Uche. Uche is playing like 20, 23 percent of the snaps, whatever it is. So I think Uche is the least likely to return from those five guys. How about positions of need for the Patriots? in the rankings for pro football focus. Again, like, comment, and subscribe doesn't cost you anything. It just takes one second to do that. We look at wide receiver. We look at tackle, right? First two priorities, wide receiver and tackle. When you look at pro football focus's top 50 free agency list, there are five wide receivers on this list. This goes back to what we talked about when we were – you know, breaking down the draft and what I would do. And I gave you what GM Cattles would do in the draft. And I mentioned how deep wide receiver is. Wide receiver is deep in the draft. Wide receiver is deep in free agency. And so when you look at, uh, you know, pro football focuses list, five guys in the top 50, Higgins, Pittman Jr., Evans, Hollywood Brown, and Calvin Ridley. Those five guys are in the top 50 of available free agents. Wide receiver is deep. Offensive tackle. There are four offensive tackles in Pro Football Focus's top 50 list. Here's the catch, though. Two of the four are here in New England right now. I told you, Trent Brown is on this list at 22. Michael Wenu is on this list at 25. So two of the top four tackles in the free agency class are here in New England. The other two guys, Tyron Smith and Makai Becton. And Becton has been completely up and down. So that's why I think you've got to sign at least one of those tackles. You have to bring back one of Owenu or Brown because you've only got four good tackles out there. And again, two of them are in your backyard. I think you have to bring back at least one of them, if not both of them. And you still look at the draft for the tackle position as well, which we mentioned in our prior podcast. You can check it out on the channel. The question for me is, all right, if you, if you have Owenu, and you, you put him at right tackle, do you need a right guard? If you need a right guard, there are three guards in the top 50 for pro football focus. There are only two tight ends in the top 50, which, again, I would say tells me Hunter Henry is a must. You have zero tight ends under contract. You're not going to go out there and draft three tight ends. He's valuable. He's productive when you ask him to be. He's been a very good leader. He's not going to cost you a ton of money. And he's one of the two best tight ends on the market. The other tight end, if you're wondering, is Dalton Schultz. And finally, one quarterback. One quarterback is in the top 50. We all know who he is. Kirk Cousins. And the projection for Kirk Cousins is a two-year, $60 million deal coming off of an Achilles, and he'll be 36 years old next season. So I think you've got. You know, some really good information from this show today, the head coach, hirings, and that research, and breaking down this pro football focus list. Guys more likely to return than not. How deep is the class at wide receiver? How deep is the class at tackle? How important is it to bring back one of the two tackles that you have that are going to be free agents? This is all information that we need to gather as we get ready for this offseason, which is going to be huge. Comment, like, subscribe, Spotify, Apple Pods. Don't forget to rate and review. I appreciate every single one of you. Tomorrow, we're going to preview the Chiefs game. And, of course, if anything breaks, we'll be all over it. Uh, Until tomorrow, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. This has been the Nick Cattle Show.